Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Advent is a season of preparation. The word um, that we have for Advent actually comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And for Christians, Advent looks back to the first coming of Jesus and forward to the second coming of Jesus. And it's vital for us to hold both of these things in tension because only looking back nostalgically or, or only looking forward anxiously paralyzes us from living the lives God has called us to here and now. And that is the point, my friends, the life he's called us to here and now the hope, joy, peace, and love that we focus on during this season are fruitless if they don't empower us to love God and to love the world around us each and every day. And not like in a, a figurative kind of way, not like in a theological kind of way, but in a, a way with our heart and a way with our hands. Over the next four gatherings, we will look at these four themes of Advent, hope, joy, peace, and love. Now, one way to help these words come alive for us is by learning more about how they are used throughout the biblical story. If you've been here over the last few months, you know that we've been in this thing we're calling a year in the story and really just taking time from this past August all the way through next summer to, to spend a year diving deeply into God's story, his great story and our place in it. And so as we look at these themes of Advent, we're going to look at how they occur inside of the biblical story. So during each gathering, we're going to check out a video by a group called The Bible Project out of Portland. And if you aren't familiar with The Bible Project, I highly, highly recommend checking them out, thebibleproject.com. All of our Restore groups will also be diving deeper into each of these words as they meet during the month of December. And, and here's my hope, y'all. My hope is that understanding these important biblical themes will help us do two things. Number one, prepare our hearts to experience Jesus like never before during this Christmas season. And number two is to prepare our hands to be Jesus to everyone we encounter during the holidays and beyond. So that's our goal over these next four gatherings as we look at hope, joy, peace, and love. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at our first Advent theme of hope. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Adventus, for your coming, not just once as a child that we celebrate in Christmas, but again, to make all things new. As we look at those two themes and, and this, this big, deep, beautiful theme of hope throughout Scripture, God, illuminate our hearts and minds to what you have for us. Help us walk away different than we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the flood waters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, and now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the apostle Paul says, the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is, but biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. 
Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. So, as that video illustrated for us, this theme of hope runs throughout God's story in Scripture. But you probably know that hope isn't just relegated to the pages of the Bible. Hope is a part of our everyday experience, whether you're a Christian or not. And in a broken world like ours, hope is universally understood as simply the desire for things to get better. We hope for our jobs to be satisfying. We hope for our grades to be good, the students in the room. We hope for our bank account balance to be sufficient. We hope for our relationships to be loving. We hope for our lives to be fulfilling. We hope that someday things will be good, that they will be better, that they will be fulfilling. The hope we have for these things moves up and down based on how they're going, right? This is true for almost everyone. The vast majority of people are constantly riding a hope roller coaster, that sends them flying high or free-falling based on their circumstances. And if, if I'm being honest, I tell you that my life feels like a hope roller coaster almost all of the time. I'm all over the place. I get one piece of good news and, and I'm, I'm totally filled with hope. I get, I get one piece of bad and I feel like it's all over. This has been vividly apparent in my life over the last few weeks. Some of you know that uh, my wife and I are, are foster parents. And over the last year and a half, we've had uh, three different little boys in our home. We have one right now that we've had for about seven or eight months. And over the last few months and, and few weeks even, there have been a lot of trials and, and court dates and visits and things like that. And, and I'll tell you that it's like every time I get a text message from our caseworker or from his lawyer, or, or I have a conversation with his biological mom. It's like my hope for this situation, for this little boy to be in a safe environment, just rides that roller coaster up and down. Y'all, sometimes I don't even know what to be hoping for, you know? Sometimes I, I, I hope that we can adopt him and, and he can be with us forever. Sometimes I hope that he can go back to his biological mom and be with her forever. And, and there's just no really good situation, you know? And it's like every day, every moment, every text message, every email, every phone call, every conversation with my wife, I'm just riding that hope roller coaster. In this journey, I often lay down in bed at the end of the day, full of hope or full of dread. I, I, I legitimately don't experience much in between. And as I've been thinking about hope during this season of Advent, I've been praying and asking God as I lay down at night why it seems constantly just beyond my grasp. Why true, permanent hope is just out of my reach. I'm still really early in this process, so you'll just have to bear with me, but God has begun to show me that my hope is constantly rising and falling because I base it on my circumstances. My life as a hope roller coaster because I make it an exercise in probability. Right When I have a good day and I'm feeling good, my hope soars. But when I have a bad day and I'm feeling bad, my hope shrivels. 
This is how most of us understand hope. We look at the circumstances that we're in or we figure out the odds of of things going our way and we base our hope on that. For most of us, hope is an exercise in probability. We try to picture how it's gonna go and then we either allow ourselves to hope or we run away from it. But if we have placed our faith in Jesus, our hope isn't based on probability. It's based on a person. If we have placed our faith in Jesus, our hope is not based on probability. It's based on a person. And like Tim Mackey said in that video just a second ago, biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Our hope isn't based on probability. It's based on a person. So here's my question for us this morning. Is our hope based on probability or is it based on a person? Are you looking for hope in your job? Finding fulfillment in what you get up and go do for work every day? Maybe that you'll get a promotion. Maybe that you'll get more influence at your job. You'll make more money. Whatever it is, that's where all of your hope is kind of found. Even if things are struggling around you, you have this one bright spot of, of your vocation that you feel like, I can find hope here. Are you finding it in your loved ones? Are you placing your hope in the people that you're closest to, your your family, your friends, your spouse, your kids? Are you placing it in this season? This is something that I have a tendency to do. I'm like, if I can just get through the rest of the year and Christmas comes, like it's all gonna be okay. I can start listening to Christmas music. I can put my tree up. I can do the lights outside. And even if things are going wrong, like it's such a beautiful and merry time that like I can just trust that this season will bring me some hope, some joy, and some peace. Maybe for you, it's your financial security. You think that hope is going to be found in in an uptick in your bank account balance or just having a little bit more and having, having just enough, you feel like then I'll be able to, to have true staying hope. But all of these things, they ride the roller coaster. They're up and they're down. They're good and they're bad. And they leave us without hope. But we all have this choice. We can find hope in the probability of something in our lives, or we can place our hope in the person of Jesus. I think my very favorite picture of people placing their hope in the person of Jesus is found in Peter's letter to the early church. It's about 30 or 40 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. That's where we're going to be for the rest of our time together. 1 Peter chapter 1. You can do it on your phone or in your Bible, or the verses will also be on the screen behind me. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pause there for just a second. So this joy-filled sentence doesn't initially strike us as a strange thing to say, right? If we were writing a letter to, we were like a pastor writing a letter to a bunch of churches, we would say something like, hey, praise God, let's start the letter off right, you know? But Dire, dire circumstances were occurring, not just for Peter, but for the people receiving this letter when he 
wrote it. And honestly, the the severity of the circumstance makes this joyous introduction kind of weird, kind of confusing. See, in the first verse of this letter, he calls his audience, quote, scattered exiles. Many of the recipients of Paul's letter would have read it under a roof that was not their own, driven from their homes because of what they believed, because of what they practiced, because of the, the faith that they were a part of. In fact, seven different times in this short writing, Peter encourages these early believers to have courage in the midst of suffering. So put yourselves in the shoes of these first century Christians. If I was a scattered exile, driven from my home because of religious persecution, fearing for my life and my family's life, I don't think I would be really excited to open a letter that starts with a command to praise the God who has allowed me to experience such suffering. I think I would be like, is this a joke? Like, do you know what we're really walking through here, Peter? It would have been easy to abandon all hope at this point for them. You know, I think if I had been reading it and I read that first verse, I would say something like, praise God, why should I? Why should I trust the God who has permitted my life and the lives of those I love to be filled with such pain? Why should I allow myself to have hope that things will ever get better? All things have done since I accepted Jesus, since I placed my faith in him, since I joined this way, this church, they've gotten worse. Why should I have hope that they're ever going to get better? It would have made sense for them to abandon all hope based on the odds. But Peter and other first century Christians, they understood that our hope isn't based on probability, it's based on a person. See, even when their circumstances were dire, even when the odds weren't in their favor, they chose to trust Jesus and to find their hope in him. So the question is, how did they do that? Well, let's look at our passage again and kind of the whole of verse three. So it says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God has given us new birth into a living hope as well as an inheritance that will never fade away. I love Peter's phrase here. He doesn't just call it hope. He doesn't call it true hope or assured hope. He calls it living hope. Living hope. It's such a powerful term. And you may know a little bit about Peter. You may know that he was one of Jesus's kind of 12 disciples, right? His closest friends who spent basically every day for three years by Jesus's side. Peter had hope in this guy. He devoted his whole life to him. He abandoned his, his very profitable fishing business, his family and all of that. He walked away to go and follow Jesus because he had hope that this was the person This was the guy. And when Jesus died on that cross, Peter's hope died with him. He believed that Jesus was God. He believed that Jesus was ushering in in this new kingdom. He had hope that Jesus was going to liberate Peter and everyone else from their pain and their sin and their suffering and their death. But then Jesus dies. And so does Peter's hope for this liberated life. But then 
If you know the story, three days later, Jesus overcomes death and rises from the grave. Peter's hope is no longer dead. He has now a living hope. And that hope is what sustains him through the ups and downs of his life. Peter's hope, our hope, is alive forever because it isn't found in the odds. It's found in the person who overcame the odds. Our hope is forever alive because it already overcame death. In Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he says it like this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. We don't just have this living hope someday. We have it every day through the Spirit of God within us. In this Advent season, we look back to Jesus, who has already come, lived, died, and was raised from the dead. And we also look forward to the Jesus who will come again. And that's exactly what Peter does here. He finds his living hope looking back at his resurrected friend, Jesus, at the God who overcame death. But he also looks forward to the second coming of Jesus, and he finds hope there as well. Verse 4. He says, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Two Sundays ago, we wrapped up this series we called Heaven, Hell, and Other Things We Don't Understand Very Well. And we looked at what Peter says here will be revealed on the last day for all to see. The Bible calls it the new heaven and new earth. It's this place that is ushered in by the second coming of Jesus. A place where the old order of, of subjugating some people so that others can thrive is over. Everyone thrives there. No one works for anyone else. No one owes anyone anything. There's no racism or sexism or classism. There is no oppression we are all completely and perfectly equal. It's a place where death and everything that it brings, sadness and bitterness and mourning and pain, are done away with forever. It's a place where there's no more war or weapons or hostility, a place where everything is defined by something the Bible calls shalom, perfect, abundant goodness and peace in us and with us between us and God and between us and everyone else on earth. Perfect, abundant peace. This is how Peter has a living hope. He chooses to focus not on his circumstances, but on Jesus Christ and all that he has done, is doing, and will do. Peter ends this passage with a simple but profound piece of encouragement in verse 6. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Look, I know just by the number of people that are in this room, but I know even deeper because I know a lot of you very personally and very deeply. I know that you are walking through difficult things. I know. I shared about our struggles in foster care. I know some of you in this room have the same struggles with foster care. 
But others of you are walking through divorce or the loss of a job or financial insecurity. You're walking through family problems or, or pressures from work or from school. For some of you right now, you are in a season of life that feels completely unbearable. And you hear me up here talking about hope and you're like, is that a joke? Just like the people who got Peter's letter that were walking through some really difficult things. You're like, Zach, I'm supposed to have hope. I'm supposed to praise God. This isn't, you don't know the season that I'm in. You don't know what it is that I'm walking through. But I would just say to you that this is a broken world and we are broken people. And if we allow our hope to be, to be defined by circumstances or by the odds, we will live a life filled with disappointment and pain. I've done it and I can see on your faces that you have done it too. But if we stop finding our hope and probability, if we stop making it an exercise of, of riding that hope roller coaster and we start finding it in a person, we will stop being tossed around by every up and down of life. We will be firmly rooted in a living hope that dwells deep within our spirit because the spirit of God is the one who brings it and he is there. There's a book in the Old Testament entitled Lamentations, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just this collection of lament and sorrow written by this prophet named Jeremiah. And he writes it after the people of Babylon have conquered his people, Jerusalem. They've, they've burned God's temple down. They've destroyed the city. They've made the Israelites their slaves. And it's five chapters, and it's, it's five poems of lament, of sorrow. And in his third poem, Jeremiah focuses in on how hard things have been for just him personally during this terrible time. Verses 19 and 20, he says this, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Imagine what this guy has gone through. Everything he's ever known has been taken from him. His family's home has been brought to nothing. The temple he worshiped at and worked at his entire life has been burned to the ground. He has plenty of reasons to lament. The probability of everything working out okay isn't good. His odds are not in his favor. There's every reason to abandon all hope. But he doesn't. And, and look at why. He says it in the very next verse. Yet I still dare to hope. When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. I promise that I'm talking to myself as much as everyone else in this room. But this is where true living hope is found. Not in our circumstances, not in the odds, but in the Lord Jesus. During this Advent season, 
We look back to his first coming. We remember his, his life and death and burial and resurrection, but we also look forward to his second coming. And we anticipate the new heaven and new earth, the shalom, the perfection that he will usher in as he heals the brokenness, as he does away with the pain. And we find our hope in a person, not in probability. Jesus is our living hope. Joe and the band are gonna come back up and lead us in a song all about that very thing, our living hope in Jesus. And as they do, me and some others are gonna be right there in our little prayer area, just that pop-up banner that says prayer. If you would like someone to pray for you during this time, pray for hope in your life, pray for whatever you're walking through, we'll be over there and I would, I would love, love to pray with you. But before we sing, I wanna ask you to stand up with me really quick. I want you to stand with me. I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to read the chorus of the song we're about to sing over us. It goes like this. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, our living hope. Let's pray. God, thank you for your hope from your word this morning. Thank you that it's not just some random one-off theme somewhere found in, a, in a, a specific passage just one time in scripture, but it's a beautiful theme that runs throughout your entire story. That from the first pages to the last of scripture, hope is woven through every thread. Thank you for the way that you give us hope, not based on our circumstances, not based on the odds, not based on the probability of things going well, but based on a person. And that person, Jesus, God himself has been faithful again and again and again. Whether we anticipate his second coming or look back to his first coming, we know that the one we place our hope in is worthy. Help us find our hope in you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.